If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is a humor expert. If laughter is the best medicine, then a dose of David Glickman should be covered under every insurance. He's been a professional speaker and entertainer for over 25 years and has presented over 2,000 speeches and shows. He's appeared on The Evening at the Improv and several other national television shows. He's been the opening act for stars such as The Beach Boys, Ellen DeGeneres, and more. David has worked with Steve Martin and even performed at Gloria Estefan's birthday party. In addition to his performing expertise, David has a wealth of business experience. He's the former owner of a chain of comedy clubs, as well as the current owner of a popular humor writing service for executives. David believes that funny is the new serious and that with the proper perspective, you can enjoy a successful work-laugh balance. He's a dear friend and colleague, and I'm thrilled to welcome him to the show. So, David, thank you for being this week's special guest expert and mentor. Oh, thank you, Susan. And what a lovely introduction you gave me. I appreciate that. Uh, You know, the dirty little secret for everybody that your listeners should know, guests write their own introduction. Everybody should know that, that when you're hearing glowing words, the guests are writing that. Can I tell you a quick, quick, funny story about how I learned about that? I'd love you to, David. My very first performance as a speaker slash comedian in front of a paying audience, I was very, very young. I was, I think, 21 years old. First time, Susan, in front of a paying audience, it was 50,000 people in a stadium. It was at my university's uh, homecoming pep rally the night before our football game at University of Florida. They would do a very large show in the stadium. And I was given a five minute comedy set to do in front of all these people. Now, nobody knew me at all. So I wrote my own introduction, just like you read the introduction of me right now that most of your listeners probably thought you wrote. I wrote it. So I wrote the performer you're about to see, David Glickman, is very, very funny. You know, I played it up real big. Introducer who read it said, I'm going to read this introduction, and this guy says he's very funny. He wrote this himself, so he's got to be funny. He's saying right here how funny he is. Well, he set me up for disaster, posturing it that way. And I came out. I did not do very well in front of 50,000 people. Finally, in the last 90 seconds of the five minutes, I got the crowd on my side and left to a rousing round of applause and cheers. But it's just very funny that most people don't know that (laughs) every introduction you hear is written by the person being introduced. 
Most are, but sometimes people don't give you an introduction, so I have to create one. So, but I know you're a true professional and you do. So thank you. David, I know that there's a lot of confusion between humor and comedy. So I'd love you to set the record straight for us so that we can really understand the difference between the two. The joke I usually say is the difference between a comedian and a humorist are the number of zeros at the end of the paycheck. A humorist makes far more revenue than a comedian would for possibly the same material being delivered. It's positioning and marketing, but it's not really that simple. Comedy is kind of no holes barred, not a lot of rules, not necessarily a lot of filters. It's a broader way of getting people to laugh, but it's also done in venues and settings where it's using material that would not necessarily be appropriate for all audiences. That's the difference, in my opinion, where humor is defined. Humor is typically much more driven for all audiences, meaning that if I'm a humorist, I can talk just as well or present just as well to an audience of middle-aged folks, to an audience of teenagers, to an audience of senior citizens. It doesn't matter whether I'm doing that in presentation, Susan, or in the written word. There's a far different way of presenting what's funny for writing it. You can write, you can call it politically correct, you can call it whatever you want. Humor is something that's going to be more acceptable to all audiences. And the only other thing that a lot of people say, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with this, is that humor typically has a point associated with it. In other words, you might hear a funny story or a funny example of something, and then there's a message buried in there. I don't know that that's always true. I think it's true much of the time, but I've seen plenty of humorists who are writers who don't necessarily have a point. They're just being funny, but doing it in a very inclusive, politically correct, yet very funny way, if that makes sense what I'm saying. Yes, it certainly does. And are there some basics of humor writing that our listeners could use maybe to lighten up a more serious or technical, let's say, presentation or blog post or an article or even their books? I'll explain the way I've always taught people to do it. Because what happens, Susan, people feel a lot of pressure when they think, oh, I should make this writing funny. And unless you do this for a living like I do, you don't necessarily think funny all the time. So what I always say to take the pressure off, just write what you write, write what you know. Don't worry about the humor on the first pass. The humor comes on the second pass. So you look at what you've written and then you go back and see if there's ways to add levity to it. And so, again, it takes a lot of the pressure off. So to answer your question, how do you find that funny? Well, you look at something perhaps that you've written and then you find maybe there's an example you can compare it to. There's something else that you've made a statement, let's say, and then you say, well, that's like this, this, this and this. But it's where you do kind of compare and contrast when I help speakers add humor, sometimes I 
advise them to think of it like they're watching a football game being telecast. One person who's on the broadcasting does play-by-play. That's kind of what your writing is. It's your content. It's play-by-play. It's what you're writing. But the other person does what's called color commentary. So color commentary is adding all the things in between, and that's where the humor or the possibility for humor comes in. It's really almost just thinking like it doesn't have to be sarcasm, but it's just making fun of what you've already written, if that makes sense. I'll just make up something here. Let's say you're writing something very serious. The root of prejudice isn't usually hate. Prejudice usually stems from ignorance. Then you might add this comment. It means if you are prejudiced, you probably can't spell prejudice. See what I'm saying? Because you're talking about ignorance. And so that's not a hilarious line, but I'm commenting on the comment, as it were. But you would chuckle over something like that. Right, exactly. Humor doesn't, and maybe that's another difference between humor and comedy. Comedy, you're going for a lot of what we call LPM, which is laughs per minute, belly laughs, you know, as much as you can, as many times as you can per minute. Humor doesn't need to have the bar that high. I mean, it's great if you can. And as a humorist, I try to bring a lot of my LPM to that stage, too. But when you're writing something in nonfiction, people are not expecting humor, typically. So when you can add moments of levity, just like that, anything is considered fun if it can add a smile to their face, if it's not all serious. So it's interesting that you talked about the fact that the first time around, you know, you just write and then you look at sort of some associations or how you can beef it up to make it a little funny with your examples. Because I remember when I was writing and meeting and event planning for dummies and the dummies series tend to have sort of humor built into them. And it really made me nervous because I don't tend to be a funny person. And I was like getting so worked up about the fact that I had to be funny in my writing. And I found that just reflecting back and being sarcastic about myself added a slight sense of humor. Do you want to comment on that? Self-deprecating humor, you know, making fun of oneself or poking a little fun at oneself is something that audiences or readers enjoy. We love to see vulnerability in the person who is presenting or writing. If you think of two great humor writers, Dave Barry and Irma Bombeck, you know, going back a few years, both of them would poke lots of fun at themselves in their humor writing. And I've seen that in quite a few nonfiction books. And you're right, the Dummy series does, you know, just by its very nature, doesn't take itself that serious. The other thing is when someone is having a challenge trying to see what's funny in something, another thing they can do is try to find a humor buddy. And now it doesn't have to be someone who's necessarily hilarious either, it doesn't have to be another humorist, but there is synergy in getting two brains together to think of something funny versus just working in solitude. So if you can find another writer in your market, I mean, it can be via Skype or the phone, but it's a heck of a lot easier over coffee in person to sit there with two legal pads and say, you know, here's the chapter I wrote this week. Do you see anything funny here? What can I add to this? So now you've got 
two people work in it, and the humor quotient goes up exponentially with a humor buddy like that. A lot of people just do it with their family. I'm blessed to have a very, very funny family. I can just go to my wife or my kids or my siblings and say, what do you think of this? Is there something funny here? And they don't do this for a living, but sometimes they'll see something I never saw at all. Isn't it true that, like the funny shows, the David Letterman-type shows, that there's, in fact, like a whole team of people who are working on different gags and different funny ideas? It's oh, not just sure. one person. Oh, you could, yeah. I mean, you could have a writing team. I think you and I have a mutual friend. I think you know Bruce Turkel. Bruce is a commentator on Fox Business Channel for business issues, and he's on quite often. And when Bruce is given his topic, usually a few hours in advance of when he's on air, he reaches out to four or five of us, uh, folks you know, myself included, and we all quickly, quickly, quickly brainstorm some funny lines for Bruce that he can use on air that day. There's just great synergy, like I said, in all of us kind of batting the lines around. And it's also kind of fun because we know there's pressure. We know he's on the air at three o'clock and by God, we better have those lines, you know, to help him and be ready. But yeah, if you can have just like there are mastermind groups and there are writers groups, you can have a humor group. You know, you could meet once a week, once a month, doesn't matter just to to bat around ideas to see what you could add to it. And the sarcasm, you know, you just have to kind of watch it. People you can watch in people's faces if, if you've gone too far with the sarcasm. You'll see people are the arbiter of what's funny and what's not funny, at least in a live situation. In writing, it's a little more difficult, but you can read something out loud. And if you see someone cringe, you know you might have gone too far. So what are the differences then in humor in writing versus speaking? Good question. I, I will tell you, I have not figured that out entirely myself, but certainly the way I'm speaking to you now, I'm using a lot more words than I would when I write humor. When I go and write a blog post or something like that, I try to be as concise as possible. I mean, I do that when I'm speaking also, but a lot of freedom I might have when I'm speaking you want to stick with more rules, at least I do when I'm writing, just so that it's easier. You know, there's no inflection in writing. There's really, you know, I mean, you can put something in italics or lots of exclamation points, but short of you listening to the writer read it or someone else read it, you lose a lot of that. So the words have to convey more of the power. There's no facial expressions you know, on the page. You know, so maybe that's part of the difference. I believe the spoken word, it's easier to get laughs. I think your writers have a greater challenge. And I think that's why humor writers are revered, because they are able to get laughs from the written page more easily. So are there some essential ingredients then to humor that our listeners could use? There are little tricks. To answer that question, Susan, I, I would say this. When in doubt, leave it out. I know when I'm writing, I was, I was just writing something last night. I remember this. I was just writing something last night. And there was a line that I said, eh, maybe, maybe not. And I just, I walked into the other room where my wife and two kids were. And they're both, my boys are teenagers now. I said, guys, what do you think of this line? And I didn't tell them my hesitancy on it. 
And they all kind of looked at me and they said, really, dad, really? I said, you know, you're right. I knew it. So that is one thing. When in doubt, leave it out. If you're not sure if a line is going to fly, then then leave it out. But that being said, those who speak their humor have a greater opportunity to try a line because there might be a line that, okay, I'm not in doubt. I think this is going to work. I tried in front of an audience. And if your authors you know, are doing a book reading, they may want to have patter or talking in between sections they might read. So they, they've written a funny line and the line gets no reaction. And they say, oh, I'm never going to do that line again. Never, ever going to do that line again. What I would say is don't necessarily drop it. If you believe it's funny, try it a second time and a third time. If it hasn't gotten a laugh in three times, Susan, it's probably worth dropping. But I always just say, at least when done out loud, try it at least three times if you truly believe it's funny. Two other things. If you have to write a number in your writing, odd numbers are funnier than even numbers. I don't know why. Perhaps because they're odd. I don't know. But if you have to write a number... It's funnier to say 27 than 26. Brand names are funnier than just saying something generic. It's funnier to say, so I got in my Ford Pinto. I mean, if you're using an old thing or you could use something current, you know, I got in, you know, in my Ultima versus saying I got in my car. Brand names are funnier than just the generic word. And then the rule of three just an old humor technique where you're giving an example where you say something normal, something normal. And then the third one is a deviation from what people are expecting. I'll give you an example here because we're audio. You can't see me, but I will tell you that I am fairly bald. I don't have a lot of hair. So if I were speaking, I might say, well, I remember when I started, I had dreams, I had hopes, I had hair. So Normal, normal, switch. See what I'm saying? The third one is the one you're not expecting. That's a good tip. I love that one. And I always seem to remember that one out of all the tips that I've heard from you and from (laughs) other humorists. That's the one that always sticks in my mind. How about funny sounding words? Are there words that we could easily use that sound funny? I know you mentioned brand names, but are there other common everyday words? The letter K is a funny letter. There's something hard and guttural about the letter K. So if I have a choice of two or three words, I mean, just the cereal, Captain Crunch, you've got two Ks in there, is funnier than saying Cheerios. I don't know why. I'm, you know, I'm not a researcher or a PhD. I don't know the science behind any of this. I just know that I've stood in front of an audience over 2,000 times, and I know what they laugh at. So The K sound is something that's funny. I'm not even sure if I can talk to that too much more intelligently. It's just certain words. If your listeners are old enough to remember, you know, when Jerry Lewis used to do things, you know, just make these crazy sounds, you know, oh, oh, hey, you know, and oh, kafaden, and, and, you know, strange syllables and things like that. People laugh at that kind of stuff. It's just nonsensical. Uh, There used to be a cartoonist named Don Martin who drew for Mad Magazine. And he would just take these strange syllables, kerflumph. Now, again, those aren't real words, so I'm probably not, I'm not helping your, your listeners that much. But I guess if you're looking at the choice of two different words, say them out loud. And if one sounds funnier, you'll intuitively know that that one is a little bit funnier. 
Well, how about made-up words? Like you said, this uh, Don Martin said, if you make up a word, I know like brand names, I mean, even Google or Hagen does. I mean, they're not necessarily, they're not K-words, but they sound funny because they're different. They do. I mean, you know, we could spend two hours just on branding. I mean, if your listeners are trying to create a nonfiction movement, as it were, on something, if they can create a word and perhaps you can have Sam Horn on as a guest at some point, she can talk to this wonderfully. There are ways where you just, I just, one of my blog posts recently, I came up, I wrote a word called ranticipate. And ranticipate is the ranting that we do while we're anticipating that something's going to go wrong and usually does not go wrong at all. We build up in our minds how terrible something's going to be. And we complain and we yell and we scream and we ranticipate and it really doesn't happen. So a made up word like ranticipate is good. And, and I'll give you one other example. It's a title of one of your books, Susan, which is Riches and Niches. Rhymes are very, very pleasing to the ear, very pleasing to the ear and very pleasing to the eye, very pleasing to the eye also, because when we read, we hear the word in our head. So if you can rhyme something, I'm not saying to, you know, to do your, your whole book in poetry, but titles and phrases and things like that. Anytime you can use anything like rhyme, if you could find a way to make it rhyme, you're ahead of the game. How about mistakes? Are there common mistakes people make when trying to be funny in their either presentations or their writing? Well, again, one we addressed earlier, which was, you know, when in doubt, leave it out. You know, if you feel something's crossing the line, there's a good chance it is. The other mistake that people make quite often. This is more in the spoken word than written, but it's, it's an error in writing too. And that is to use old jokes as the example or illustration of your humor. It's one of the main differences you'll see with a you know professional speaker and an amateur speaker is they think they're under this misconception they're supposed to open with a joke. And typically it's an old joke. Typically, it's a joke that everybody's heard or most everybody's heard. And the funny thing is the audience still usually laughs because even though we've heard a joke before, we laugh again. But it takes the credibility away and it kind of screams amateur while watching that person tell the joke. Humorists don't tell jokes. Humorists use humor. Humorists use observational lines and comment on the comment and find other ways to get the laugh. So even in writing too, steering clear of jokes is very important. And I, I think that's a big mistake that people make. Yes. Uh, how so many people, when they're getting up to speak, you're right, they think that they have to make a joke. And you're right. It tends to be an old one. And people, even though they laugh politely, uh, it's right, like, oh, right. I've heard that a dozen times. Right. <laughs> If our listeners would like to contact you and find out more about your humor writing services or your, the programs that you offer, how can they do that? Sure. Uh, my website is davidglickman.com, and Glickman is G-L-I-C-K-M-A-N.com, davidglickman.com. And that can also direct you to another website I have called funnierspeeches.com 
which talks a little bit more specifically about helping folks punch up speeches. But davidglickman.com is certainly a way they can find me. My email is david at davidglickman.com. And my phone, I'm in Tampa, Florida. My direct line is 813-920-8283. So that's how folks can track me down. And I will just throw this out, Susan. You know, if anyone is hearing this and saying, well, gee, that's awfully nice what he's talking about, but I'm not funny. I, I, you know, I'd love to try the stuff he says. If folks come to someone like myself or another humor writer, we can help you. You know, folks like me, we can help you. You know, we can take what you've written and make some of it funny, show you how it's done. And then you can either do the rest yourself or we can do it all for you. So don't feel stymied just because humor isn't coming naturally to you. There are resources out there of folks who can help you. And if you were to leave our listeners with a golden nugget of information, what would that be, David? We do business with people that we like. We like people who can make us laugh. So if all authors are equal, and and we know that's not true, but let's say everybody's book is equal. Everybody's book is equal. If you're an author who's funny, either in your writing or in the way you promote your book, if you are funny, people are going to want to do business with you. They're going to want to buy your book because they are finding you to be funny. And like I say, even if the book is not funny, we do business with people we like. We like people who can make us laugh. How true that is. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that wisdom. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparks some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book-selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com. And we'll see you again next week 